The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. It's not, you can't hear me. Okay. I see some heads shaking and some heads nodding. (laughs) Okay, welcome to the fifth class in our series on loving kindness. Um, Since people are still coming in, um, I just want to check and see if anyone's here for the first time in this series. Yes, welcome. Have you been listening along at all, or are you just... Nope? Okay. So... um, I'm going to give a two or three minute recap review um, since many people haven't been able to come to the whole thing actually um, being summertime we have vacation so this is introducing loving kindness practice which is an intention practice practice of in consciously cultivating certain thoughts and feelings while acknowledging all of them for the purpose of cultivating an attitude of goodwill towards our whole experience, towards others, towards ourselves. And um, been teaching it in sort of tandem with mindfulness practice. So every class we've been talking a little bit about how this might integrate into a mindfulness practice, how to observe emotions and thoughts as emotions and thoughts. And we'll continue with that theme though today's focus will be a little bit more on concentration, which is a helpful skill or factor to have, especially when we start practicing with the category of person that we're practicing with this week, which will be the so-called difficult person. In ancient Asia, they were called the enemy. In Northern California, people don't like the word enemy. (laughs) So... um, people we experience difficult behavior from or attitudes towards. Before I get started, I'm wondering if anyone has questions about the practice or about what we've covered so far. Anybody? Yes? Um, Nana, can you get the mic? Thank you. Can you hear me? Yes. Oh, great. My question is, I know that we're trying to focus on, quote, intention, and say a phrase, um, may you be happy. Is there any more to it than that as far as the intention? I mean, I know what the word intention means, but is it just that I'm just wishing you to be happy, and that's all there is? I think it's a great question. Have you discovered more for yourself in the process? Uh, no, and I think I'm grappling for something that's not there yet. Uh-huh. And so I'm thinking maybe I don't totally get Oh, I'm sorry. I feel like I'm grappling for something that's not there yet. Uh-huh. And so I guess I'm just hoping to clarify in case I'm doing something wrong. Uh-huh. And what is the not there yet that you're hoping for or grappling with? Well, I say the phrase, and I mean it when I say it, when I'm thinking of the person. Um, but I guess I was hoping to have a stronger emotional 
response to it. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that can take time. Um, In my own experience, one of the things that was really beneficial for me in starting to cultivate more of the warm feeling and a little bit more momentum in the practice, this sounds a little bit funny, it's like recursive, but to... it, a little bit of a recursive kind of feeds on itself kind of action I'm about to describe, which is to see if you can fall in love with the wish itself. Oh, I like that. So um, when I, I spent two months doing intensive metta in Burma, um, a very transformative experience, and that was one of the key shifts was when the wish or intention itself started to become the object of my own appreciation and my own regard. And it it was like it gave it rocket fuel. It started to have a little bit more momentum. So that's something that you might play with. Thank you. And I like the idea of the momentum. That's that's a perfect term. I'm trying to get momentum going with it. So you said to try to fall in love with the wish itself. Yes. Wonderful. Thank you. Anybody else? (coughs) We've got a couple in the front. Yeah. um, So when I worked on the meta for my own condition, um, a lot of emotion arose. Yeah. I got this, like, no way. You got no way, you said? No way. And and I realized that one of the things I was dealing with was um, unless I did something, I wasn't performed in some way, I wasn't worthy of it. So that was um, quite interesting. And I I got that sense about, you mentioned that get a little, just a little bit of of the pool going. So I was able to do that more by working with a, a close friend or a benefactor who I knew was wishing me well. So I kind of <laughs> did a little loop there. And Great. That, that helped. I was quite, quite um, startling. To, did you say startling? Startling to see the depth of which I wasn't able to push myself well, apart from some kind of performance. So can you say a little bit more about what you mean by performance? I'm not sure I understand. Well, uh, yeah, I think it's, you know, the sense of worthiness. To to do something, there has to be some kind of exchange. I see. In in order to, for me to feel good. So I need to get this done or do this in a certain way or be this certain way in order to be worthy of loving myself. Yeah. Um, my sense is that you are not alone in the room for that. I know I could raise my hand and join you, <laughs> especially when starting this practice. I sense that our culture raises us to regard ourselves that way. So it sounds like you're running up against some very old conditioning in your mind and you're seeing it. Like we were talking about last week or a couple of weeks ago, self-knowledge is rarely good news at first, right? Like, yeah. that's first what step this, is that awareness, right? 
Right, right. So um, I think the solution that you came up with is a perfectly lovely one. Patience is also a great solution if you can hang with it. Um, In the Tibetan stream of Buddhism, it's actually quite a common practice to receive from your benefactor as a meditation. So if that works better for you, play with it. It's still you generating the love for your experience anyway. (laughs) It's just another layer of imagination. And imagination is a wonderful tool. Thank you. Hi, I'm Lisa. Hi, Lisa. And um, I, I was wondering... Hello. I was wondering if you could explain a little bit more about the playful side. I'm a little unsure about what that actually means. Okay. Um, sometimes there's one or two people in the scene that can take themselves a little bit too seriously on the cushion. Just one or two, right? <laughs> Um, what I mean is it's okay to come up with some silly ideas if they make you laugh or they make you smile it's actually more than okay it's quite skillful so um, I think I quoted Analio once um, teaching metta as a practice and informed us that he used a very cute Sri Lankan squirrel as his sort of metta muse to begin with so sometimes if I'm in a foul mood, I'll pick things that are um, a little bit silly, whether it's two-year-olds laughing or envisioning being, actually being playful or having a good time. As, as something to focus on? You, you, I'm sorry. I yeah, as um, like picking intentionally it invoking certain memories or thoughts to focus on and then notice how it feels in your body to feel good and notice that feeling of happiness and there's something about the way our bodies and minds work together that if we notice something it tends to increase so then it'll get you just it's like a bird about to take off it'll get your wings flapping enough to where then you can focus on something else that's more traditional if you want to so like a a little icebreaker like an emotional icebreaker an icebreaker is a great term for it thank you Lisa thank you so um I think what might be nice is for us to start with a short meditation and then I'll go more into the talk and we can have more discussion. So make yourselves comfortable. Settle into a comfortable posture that lets you be a little bit alert. Close your eyes. And then check in with the internal posture of your heart and mind. See if you can commit to cultivating a kind way of being with yourself this evening. all of your experience. If it's helpful, you can take a few of those deep breaths in your belly. 
And on the exhale, just let go. Whatever it took to get here. Any lingering thoughts from your day. Then let go of any attempt to control the breath, too. And allow it to just be natural. Feel the strength of the earth supporting you. Relax into now. (coughs) Allowing your awareness to expand through your whole body, not just the mind, all the way from your face to your feet. See if you can let your body be soft. Let your mind be soft. Gently collect your attention around the center of your chest. your heart center. Noticing your life's breath moving through, enlivening, nourishing. Acknowledging and accepting whatever feelings or sensations are there. you like, you can imagine feeling your breath and heart together, as if you could breathe into the heart and out again. Letting go on the out-breath. Receiving Acknowledging your experience as you breathe in.
staying with the breath. Remember, evoke the sense of a person or being who has benefited you in some way. Who's offered joy, kindness, acceptance, or support, even just for a few moments. You can picture them, imagine a pleasant moment with them. Or imagine them nearby. See if you can feel their presence. Allow any warm feelings to grow. Appreciation. Gratitude. Breathe their regard into your heart, receiving their presence, breathing out well wishes. Finding your own rhythm with the breath or separate from it. Clarify your intentions now by repeating a very short version of any phrases or words that make sense to you. For example, be happy. Be well, safe, ease, joy. Use all of the words or just a couple of them, allowing a rhythm to build in your mind, like the rhythm of falling rain. Noticing any sense of pleasure or comfort or ease.
gently let go of this person and turn your kind attention towards your own heart, mind, and body. Seeing yourself as they might. Taking in, receiving, appreciating all of you. The same tenderness you might offer a little child or a baby animal. Regarding your wholeness in kind attention. Allow this intention for loving kindness to drop down from your conscious mind into the deepest places of your heart center, the groundwater of your being. Let it ripple like a raindrop meeting the ocean through every organ, muscle, every cell of your body, even through your skin, rippling through every corner of your heart and mind. Allow this intention for love and kindness to soak through all of you, the noble and the small, the petty, the generous, honoring your wish for happiness, safety, and ease wellness and wholeness. Again, clarifying your intention by repeating the same very short phrases or words you used before.
Letting go of any phrases, any intentional direction. See if you can cultivate the trust that these intentions will do their work. Spread through your heart and mind, your body, into your actions and ways of being. And with this trust, let go and just allow sensations, emotions, thoughts to move through awareness like weather patterns move through the sky. I'd like to start this talk with another short chant. Anyone here who knows it is welcome to join me. It's written on your, the bottom of your yellow sheet, your handout. Um, If you don't know it, just listen to me the first time and we'll do it together the second time. It's only about a sentence and a half long. So... This is one that I first heard from Heather Martin, um, a Canadian Dharma teacher. And I'd actually completely forgotten about it until Nana reminded me of it a couple of weeks ago. So thank you for that. So it goes like this. May I be filled with love and kindness. May I be well. May I be peaceful and at ease. May I be happy. See, that's pretty simple, isn't it? You ready to try it? Okay. May I be filled with love and kindness. May I be well. May I be peaceful and at ease. May I be happy. Thank you. So I wanted to start us off with that. Because having a light kind of and kind sense 
towards ourselves is especially important when we start practicing kindness towards people who we find difficult. Difficult, maybe transiently annoying or entrenched dynamics where you've got someone who's really a thorn in your side or provokes unpleasant, difficult feelings on a regular basis. It's fundamental when practicing with this category of people that we remember to put a lot of attention on being kind to ourselves because some of the stuff that comes up is unpleasant. Sometimes it's very unpleasant. So um, just trust this idea of the intentions like the rain meeting the ocean or the rain meeting your groundwater. Even if it doesn't feel like things are shifting in this practice, neurologically they're shifting, habit-wise they're shifting. Uh, That's my little framing for what we're about to talk about. You don't have to do practice for this category, but most of us have at least one or two difficult people somewhere in our lives. If you don't, choose a politician. (laughs) I know you can find one. (laughs) Depending on which affiliation you are, it will depend on which affiliation they are most likely, but you're going to find one. Um, The most important principle, no matter who you choose, is that you really have the wish to cultivate kindness towards this person. You don't actually have to have kindness towards them. That's what we're attempting to cultivate. But some kind of sincere wish or reason um, is helpful, not out of guilt or obligation or a sense that you should. Buddhism is not big on guilt or obligation. It's more personal responsibility and cultivation and the opportunity to cultivate. So... The person you feel horribly guilty that you're mad at might not be the person to start with in this practice. Um, It's important that the heart and mind have their reasons to cultivate goodwill towards persons that we find difficult. And we're not going to leave the reasons up to chance. Just like Buddhism doesn't leave love up to chance and teaches us how to cultivate love, we can also do some reflections that help build those reasons. So we'll talk about that a little bit more later. But meanwhile, as I'm talking, I want you to kind of allow yourself to think of someone you find moderately annoying or irritating. Okay? And restrain yourself to one, if you can. (laughs) You can flip through like a deck of cards and find one if you have more than one. Or you might have to really search yourself to find one, depending on your circumstances. Um, Loving kindness in this practice um, for the difficult person is where the rubber meets the road. It's really where um, we start to work with the skills we've been learning for the last few weeks. And um, it's an important part of this practice, actually. In Buddhism, loving-kindness is considered to be an antidote 
for all different kind of stripes of aversion. Classically, hatred, ill will, and fear are the three. Resentment has its own subheading in the chapter on loving kindness in this big fat book here. So even 2,000 years ago, they were working on strategies to get rid of resentment. It is not a common, it's not a contemporary phenomenon. There's all stripes of aversion, um, which I'll get into a little bit later, but we might not identify in Northern California with having hatred. So be open to the subtler versions of dislike, etc. Last week we talked about differentiating in loving-kindness between um, benevolence or open-handed kindness and flavors of craving affection or desire or lust or needing someone to be a certain way, expectation. Those, classically in Buddhism, are called the near enemies of loving-kindness. They sort of hang on and tag along frequently when we have positive feelings towards someone, but they can coexist at the same time in our hearts more or less as um, loving-kindness. Maybe not in the exact same micro-mind moment, but more or less in the same territory. Ill-will, by contrast, is considered a far enemy. It's in direct opposition. And a mind filled with ill-will is by definition a mind not experiencing kindness, benevolence, etc. They They don't get along. As I mentioned, metta has been considered the antidote to ill will since the earliest Buddhist texts. I'm actually going to read one. This is a passage from the first chapter of the Dhammapada. And it goes like this. He abused me, attacked me, defeated me, robbed me. For those carrying on like this, Hatred does not end. She abused me, attacked me, defeated me, robbed me. For those not carrying on like this, hatred ends. Hatred never ends through hatred. By non-hate alone does it end. This is an ancient truth. This passage is quite ancient, too. It reappears a number of times throughout the Buddhist texts and commentaries, which is generally considered by scholars to be a sign of age. Um, It started meaning a lot more to me when I heard a story of it being used in modern times. On Sunday, Gil told a story about the Cambodian monk, Maha Gosananda. He's considered to be the Gandhi of Cambodia. He actually died earlier this year. He was quite old. And the reason that he is considered the Gandhi of Cambodia is that um, he happened to be one of the last monks standing after the Khmer Rouge swept through Cambodia. He just happened to be in Thailand practicing and escaped death. And the story might have ended there, except that he was, by all accounts, a remarkable being. Many people consider him to be a contemporary saint in this tradition. 
And after the Khmer Rouge fell, the country was in chaos. There was a lot of pain. He returned to Cambodia and went to the refugee camps. Everyone in those refugee camps had lost a father, a mother, sisters, brothers, children, friends. He himself had lost his entire family and a lot of his followers during this time. And his response in returning to the country was to make little makeshift temples, little platforms in these refugee camps, and gather all the people together and recite chants from some of the Buddhist texts. And by far the most popular one was his riff on the passage I just read you. So if you can picture these people who've been devastated getting together and pulling their hearts together, pulling themselves together into community, chanting this, Hatred never ceases by hatred, but by love alone is healed. This is the ancient and natural law. So, we've been practicing metta as a personal practice, as a private practice, and I encourage you to keep doing that. But part of the reason I wanted to tell this story is to point out that metta can be used in times of crisis, too. Personal crisis or group crisis, relational crisis. So it can have a great deal of power. And I've got other contemporary examples, but there's not really time to tell them. Maybe I'll tell them next week. So here's what Gosananda has to say about metta for one's enemies. I do not question that loving one's oppressors, Cambodians loving the Khmer Rouge, may be the most difficult attitude to achieve. But it is a law of the universe that retaliation, hatred, and revenge only continue the cycle and never stop it. Reconciliation does not mean that we surrender rights and conditions. Rather, it means that we use love in all of our negotiations. It means we see ourselves in the opponent. For what is the opponent but a being in ignorance? And we ourselves are also ignorant of many things. Therefore, only loving kindness and right mindfulness can free us. So, many of us in Northern California are very fortunate. Thankfully, most of us haven't experienced atrocities of a brutal enemy or of war, though some people have. And this country has not experienced something like the Khmer Rouge on its ground. Not for the dominant population alive today, anyway. So we don't need to start with a blood enemy in order to get benefit from this practice. In fact, um, even if we have such experience of that level of difficulty on our own history, our own hearts, our own minds, it's probably not a good idea to start with someone who's really done us or our loved ones harm. 
It's an analogy of going to the gym. You don't go straight up to the weightlifting section after you've not worked out for 10 years and go for the 200-pound barbell. You go for the little weights and build your strength up, right? That's where this moderately annoying person comes in. Have you still got them? Okay, good. Um, as I mentioned before, in sort of mainstream Northern California culture, there's not often a lot of popular use of the word enemy either. Or for that matter, identification with hating. So, um, no, personally, I don't identify as hating people, necessarily. Whether or not we identify that way, and some people have enough difficulty to where there is hatred in their lives. Um, It's wise to start a little subtler. If you don't have hatred or rage, great. I'm really happy for you. Look deeper into your heart, and we might just find subtler shades of ill will at play, or of aversion of other kinds. We were just talking about reconciliation. This is an excellent book on reconciliation, Difficult Conversations. Um, written by some world-class negotiators. This is actually a book about conversations that are more more of a personal type, family, friends, bosses, lovers, etc. And um, they talk about your emotional footprint, and I'm just going to read some synonyms for some of these emotions. So anger. Maybe you don't think you experience much rage, but what about irritation? frustration, righteous indignation, or exasperation or impatience. Other ways difficult people can impact us. We might feel hurt, let down, betrayed, disappointed. And um, we may not experience terror, I hope, but most of you don't. But what about anxiety? Or worry? Or even a little obsessive thinking on a topic or about a person? What about suspicion? Other sort of difficult emotional footprints are in the jealousy camp, which is, as far as I can tell, a combination of craving and aversion. So you get two for one with jealousy. Envy, selfish, covetous, any of those things. So the subtler shades of those corners of our heart might show up. We each have our own sensitivities. We each carry around our own reactivity to people, sort of tendencies of how we're going to get hooked, right? As I mentioned before, resentment is a popular one, evidenced by it having its own section in here. It was one of my popular ones, too, early in my practice. And um, I actually vividly remember, this was um, some time ago, but discovering that underneath this identity I'd created for myself of being a nice person, a kind person, a patient person, a giving person, there was this stream of resentment underneath it from where I'd overextended myself and had 
the unconscious notion that somebody should be doing something for me back. Self-knowledge is rarely good news. Um, Discovering this was the first step in starting to be able to see it and work with it. And what it eventually meant, after no small amount of hard work, was coming to a more mature understanding of who I was and what was generous and what wasn't, what my boundaries were and what they weren't, and eventually being able to show up in the world in a way that didn't create resentment in myself and being able to relate to other people in a more direct way that let go of some of that. So I'm being very open about it because I don't think I'm the only person who has experienced it. (laughs) It's very common in us, right? Um... Loving kindness for difficult people takes us into this kind of territory, into the corners of our heart that's like, ooh, ooh, you know, I'd rather not see that. That's where the light gets shined. And until the light of awareness is shown on it, it's got us by the nose. We can't do anything about it. So if it happens that you discover something about yourself this week in this practice that you don't like, it's actually good news. It means it's the first step towards being able to grow past it, to be able to integrate it and not have it controlling us anymore. In traditional metta, the category of difficult person is pivotal to a process of beginning to break down the barriers, is what it's called. It's called the sign in metta practice. It's a sign of moving through the successive categories of self, benefactor, dear ones, neutral ones, difficult, to having unconditional kindness and love for all beings. It's quite a sign. And it's a beautiful aspiration. In... Buddhist figures like Mahakosananda, it's an expression of awakening, right? An expression of a certain form of being able to move through the world that's just inspiring to almost anyone that they meet. It's also a beautiful practice to take on in deep retreat. We might not be fully enlightened, but we can visit these places in deep retreat. For our purposes in daily life, though, we don't need to be fully awakened or to hold ourselves to a goal that lofty, that high. At least not in order to experience and share the benefits of this practice. So I'm pointing to two different ways of looking at metta here, of loving kindness. One is this sort of aspiration practice, which is how it's classically presented in some of the texts, and the other is as a way of relating to our experience, whether we're having the feelings or not, to have a kind perspective on everything that arises for us, or at least the wish to have a kind perspective. And in daily life, that can be incredibly powerful. Most of us don't have 10 or 20 years to spend in a monastery in Thailand cultivating this level of understanding, right? So 
I want you to consider a couple of questions then. We might not be people working the borders of a war-torn region, but when is it helpful to start ending our private wars in the heart? On the highway, letting go of grudges, letting go of less-than-kind tendencies around the water cooler. Regardless of another person's behavior, when is kindness beneficial to us as a cultivation? So I've been talking for quite a while, and I want to turn this over to you. So if you don't already have a handout, grab a handout and find two people to talk with, at least one of whom you haven't talked with recently, as in the last day or two. (laughs) Um, I'm going to give you about 10 minutes to explore the question. It's written under discussion reflection question. Why might it be useful in your heart and life to try to cultivate a sense of friendliness towards a difficult person? What benefits might you experience? If you have trouble finding someone, you can walk up here and I'll set you up. And if you want to opt out, it's always okay to reflect on this silently. So, um, that sounded like animated conversation to me. (laughs) I'm wondering if anyone's willing to share some of what they came up with. Um, Just briefly, an idea or two that someone said or you thought of. Okay. Hi. Hello. Yes. I'm Kyle. Uh, So one of the things my group talked about that was uh, really useful is oftentimes... Uh, when you're having trouble with other people, when other people seem to be sending a lot of bad energy your way, one of the things that helps to remember uh, someone th- is that it, pro- it often doesn't have a lot to do with you. It has entirely, you know, if you're trying to be a compassionate, loving person, it's about seeing the things in their life that may have nothing to do with you that are just sort of manifesting towards you. And I sort of realized that you can turn that around, too, which is when you have sort of bad feelings about other people, often that has very little to do with them. And you yes. sort of need to... It, it's, it's obviously good to learn about the parts of yourself that are, that are creating these sort of negative emotions towards other people yeah. that you then project onto them, and it's not really their fault. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you. Well said. Anybody else? Jim? Uh, I'm Jim, and uh, I noticed that when I got talking in terms, or I mean thinking in terms of uh, meta, that uh, I switched from making up excuses for the person that I was thinking of, like he's got certain emotional problems or something like that, and thinking, but it's about what I'm radiating toward him or my uh, reaction to him. So it sounds like um, you went from a focus on him to a focus on you and your responsibility. 
I am Lynn, and um, the woman that I visited with, I loved her thought that with uh, someone that's irritating, on someone on that level, um, to for myself to lower my expectations of what I'm hoping from the relationship, or um, and by doing so. Um, to not feel let down if things don't turn out as I hope, um, and just not have that built up in my head, what I'm you know, expect, <sighs> expecting. Yeah. I hope, does that make sense? Absolutely, yes. Expectations can be the source of a lot of mischief in our minds, can't they? <laughs> yeah, and then if that's not there, then I feel like I could have um, a freer flow of good well wishes mm -hmm. for the person, because they, they haven't let me down kind of thing. Great. Thank you, Lynn. Somebody else? Anyone? Great. My name is Noelle. I know. And I heard in my group just sometimes you just can't fix, you can't fix it. But a loving kindness meditation on a difficult relationship at least doesn't make it worse. Mm. And the just not to fuel the fire is, is better than doing nothing about it. Yeah. Beautiful, thank you. Yeah. Anybody else? Yes. It was on. Hello? Um, related to what Noel just shared, I think uh, for me there's also a tendency to ascribe to difficult people um, the worst intentions mm -hmm. in their dealings with me, not so much because of anything that they're doing, but because of my own sort of pessimistic notions about how they've you know, why they bother me. And sometimes to the extent that I actually sort of hold conversations in my head with that person thinking like, you know, I bet, I bet you if I confronted them about this, they'd say that, that jerk. Um, <laughs> and so I, I, would, I would love to come to these interactions rather instead of from a place of ascribing the worst intentions to sort of optimistically assigning positive intentions. Yeah. Great. So thank you, everybody who spoke, whether to each other or to me. Um, so um, I'm going to talk for just a moment or two about strategies for practicing with difficult people. You've already, some great ones are in the room already. And, um, they kind of fall into three camps, these strategies. Um, reflections, sort of meditative techniques on the cushion, and actions. And those can be internal actions or external actions. And one of the most helpful reflections for me in this practice, particularly 
the difficult person is to keep in mind the benefits of the practice itself. So even if the person doesn't seem to be deserving of the kindness, for example, that there's a certain benefit in cultivating it. Um, Some of the traditional Buddhist benefits are actually on your handout, so I'm not going to read out all of them. But um, since we're talking about concentration a little bit tonight, I'll just mention that that's one that appears both in the ancient texts and is scientifically supported in contemporary studies. Um, As is better sleep, improved relationships, and um, calm and difficult conversations, more of a sense of optimism, purpose. So... um, even when it doesn't feel like it's doing anything, I encourage you to check in with yourself, just in your daily life, and notice your mood. Notice how things are for you. And ask yourself the question, has anything shifted in my life one way or the other, or has anything shifted in my practice one way or the other since starting to do this practice? Um, In addition to thinking about benefits, there's the flip side, which is contemplating the drawbacks of holding on to these negative emotions, resentment, ill will, that kind of thing. And there's also some classic ones in the Visuddhimagga, the path of purification as well for that, but I think some of them are quite true. For example, picture a, you know attractive man or woman, well-dressed, well-groomed, Are they attractive at all if they're enraged or obviously resentful or spiteful and jealous? (laughs) Completely ruins (laughs) any... It ruins you. It makes you ugly, right? And not to put too shallow of a spin on it, but that's actually one of the drawbacks listed in here, and I think it's quite true. It's really difficult to find someone appealing who's behaving that way or even looks like they're thinking that way, you know? (laughs) Um, the emotional pain of holding the feeling. And some of you kind of hinted at that in your comments, right? It doesn't feel good. Feel the contraction in your chest and your muscles and your eyes. And perhaps the most obvious is the unhelpful thoughts, feelings, and actions that result when we are in these states. One of the most um, obvious ones for me as I started practicing was noticing when I was irritated or impatient. I would make more mistakes. I would be more likely to bump into things, to um, explode a little bit, not to other people. Usually it was to inanimate objects. That was more my thing. (laughs) It was like getting mad at the trash can because I kept it accidentally, something like that. But um, made me more distracted. So... um, Contemplating those kinds of drawbacks can actually be a real spur to practicing this practice. Um, Another reflection is to think about the bigger picture. So do any of you remember the tree spirit story from the first week? So you'll remember that the monks were being frightened by tree spirits who basically considered the monks to have invaded their homes. They were camped out on their porches from the tree spirit's perspective. And the Buddha had the wisdom to send the monks back into that situation, practicing loving kindness. It didn't just shift the monk's attitude, it shifted 
It shifted their host's attitude as well. So, you know, that's kind of a sweet little ancient myth. But are there times when cultivating a sense of love or kindness or patience might actually shift the larger situation that you find yourself in or help to shift it, at least by oneself not adding to it, not adding fuel to the fire, as you were saying. The last reflection I find helpful is to consider confounding information. And by that I mean, are there times this person has acted in ways that are not congruent with your mental picture of them? Have they been kind or patient to someone? Have they been bigger than you think they are? And to be open to that information coming in. Sometimes our filters about someone get so... um, laden with one or two negative experiences that it's difficult to even see when they are being decent or kind or generous. So all of these reflections help us generate the reasons of the heart and mind that I was talking about before. Once you've gotten negotiated yourself to the reasons for wanting to do this, which is what those reflections help do, Um, there are approaches in meditation. The first um, approach is to start separating out our assumptions or thoughts about someone from our feelings about them. And this is in the territory of mindfulness practice, mindfulness of mind practice in particular. Again, a quote from Difficult Conversations. Whales aren't fish, Tomatoes aren't vegetables. And attributions, judgments, and accusations are not feelings. So get familiar with the story versus the emotion. And that starts to separate it out and loosen it up a little bit. Um, Sometimes it's helpful to engage in the supportive practices of forgiveness and compassion that we've touched on in earlier weeks. And I put the full forgiveness practice on the handout this week if you find yourself in a position to want or need to use it for a difficult person. Momentum, as we were talking about earlier, and concentration are very helpful in this category in particular. And there's a trick to doing that. You start building the concentration and the momentum, those short phrases, that rhythm we were going through, towards someone who's easy, what Andrea Fellow this weekend called the easy person, whether that's your benefactor or a Sri Lankan squirrel or something in between. Okay? Um, momentum and concentration help stabilize the mind. And for me, they're actually the backbone of my metta practice for the first couple of years before I moved into integrating it much more into mindfulness practice. Um, It's supported, again, by short words, short phrases or single words, repetitive, allowing the mind to gather and settle. It's almost like a mantra. It's not really a mantra, but it has that similar effect to build an internal rhythm of connecting to the intention, Sustaining with the phrase. So um, the last thing I'll mention is um, what 
my Burmese metta teacher, Sayadaw Indika, called the runway principle, which is that whole kind of the bird flapping, right, to get off the ground. Use the easy people to get some wind in your sails, wind under your wings. Once you've got momentum, aim it at the difficult person. And then if you need to fall back to an easier person because it's just not working, that's not cheating. Okay? Using your imagination. (laughs) Fall back, get your momentum again, and try again. Um, The third strategy is the strategy of last resort in this book, but I think that it's actually undersold in this book, which is action. Um, sometimes the most appropriate action is to wish someone well from a healthy distance. We're talking here about situations where actual harm has been done or might be done. People don't need to know that you're practicing loving kindness or forgiveness towards them. It can be private, and sometimes it's better that way, actually, depending on who that person is and what their predilections are. As Gil says, you need to be a little bit street smart about this practice. You know, um, Be a little bit savvy. Don't necessarily put yourself into situations where you're at actual emotional or physical risk. Um, most of the time, though, we're dealing with people who are merely unpleasant or annoying. And um, a subtle action or shift of relationship on my part might actually help could be as simple as actually truly listening to them. It is amazing what that can do. And people pick up on these very subtle, often unconscious or subconscious cues in eyes, tone of voice, body language, facial expression. might take them a while to catch on, especially if the dynamic is entrenched, but it can work wonders. Simply acknowledging a person being willing to look at them, open a door for them. And then there's the internal practice. Um, The Path of Purification recommends giving or receiving a gift. And I don't know literally if that's always so appropriate, but figuratively speaking, it can be. Um, I've had huge shifts in my practice by imagining giving something or being generous to someone I have difficulty with. It actually helps my heart to do that. So that's something to consider for yourself. And as far as receiving a gift, it might be receiving even the subtlest olive branch that that person extends that you might otherwise miss. Or simply receiving the gift of being able to see your own blind spots through doing this practice with them. That too is a gift. So let's do our second meditation. Settle back in and close your eyes. Allow your awareness again to relax, stretch out, spread out into your whole body. From your nose to your toes, let your body be soft. 
Breathe easy. Just being with the breath for a moment. Collecting your attention now around the center of your chest, your heart center. And if it's helpful, imagine breathing directly in and out of the heart. Remember, evoke someone who brings a smile to your heart. Joy. Can you even imagine a time you're with them? Feeling in to what any of the happiness or warm feelings actually feel like in your body in this moment. Let any sense of warmth happiness, goodwill, flow, expand, ripple, suffuse through all of you. And set the intention to cultivate loving kindness goodwill for this person, allowing the intention to drop like a raindrop from the conscious mind to the groundwater of your heart. Letting it ripple, wave through your whole being. Clarifying your intention with words. Again, short phrases, such as be happy, or simply happy. Be well. Safe. Ease. Joy. Allowing a rhythm to build through your mind and heart and body. 
connect to the intention sustain, allow any feelings or thoughts of warmth or kindness to grow it's okay to smile put your hand on your heart if you like Receiving your whole experience. Allowing these intentions of love, kindness, goodwill to soak through every part of you. Difficulty. Maybe a moderately irritating co worker or neighbor, someone who might be a little trying or annoying. It can be helpful to imagine them in a moment when they are softer or quieter than you usually experience them. Reflect that this person, too, has hopes and fears. People who depend on them. This person wants to be happy free from suffering and fear. Perhaps their unskillful behavior might be the unfortunate, even tragic consequence of unmet needs, sorrows or past difficulties, leading them to act out in ways that distance them from you or others. So experiment. See how it feels to offer them the same kindness and well wishes you extended to your benefactor or dear one. See if you can clarify your intentions using the same short phrases you used before. 
pausing now and then to notice whatever is arising in the heart, mind, body, receiving your whole experience with kindness. trying on some longer phrases. For example, may you be filled with loving kindness. May you be free of anger, enmity and bitterness. May you be free of suffering and its causes, such as ill will and envy. May you have happiness and its causes, such as clarity and kindness. Choosing those phrases, or no phrases at all, whatever works for you. this person, returning your attention to your heart and body. Acknowledge whatever feelings are there kindly, as you might acknowledge a child, or as your benefactor or friend might be with you. and gently reflect as we close. We resonate with one another's sorrows, difficulties, and joy because all of us are interconnected by the wish to be happy, free from suffering. Everyone wants to be at ease. All people, all beings. By opening our hearts, we transform ourselves. 
and possibly the lives we touch. Take a moment to really appreciate your generosity in doing this. Thank you all for coming. Um, Next week we will be 